What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Chosen Podcast. I'm Wes with The Chosen Ones, homeless student athlete empowerment. I'm very excited about this episode today. Um, it's definitely going to be a special one, a deep one. So, you know, I invite you guys to buckle up, man, because uh, it's going to be a powerful one. And um, before we get into it, though, if you're on YouTube, make sure you like and subscribe. Um, and if you're listening on the podcast app on Apple and on Spotify, make sure you give us a follow. Give us a rating, too, so more people can see what we're doing. So, appreciate that. But without further ado, Mr. EJ Emmett Harrison. What's good, bro? Man, it's been a long, long time. Yeah, it's been like, what, six years? Maybe even longer than that. Uh, well, it's not right. We're closer coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a minute. To school and then off to Chicago. I think last time I saw you was what, 2012? Something like that, yeah. Over 10 years ago. Yeah. Crazy. I might have to pick up the mic. Yeah. Do what you do. Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, I'm glad to be here, glad to be a part of this podcast, you know, telling the story of a student athlete uh, with multiple different lives of being a preacher's kid, being father now, being mm. a husband now, uh, how being an athlete transpired and shaping my life to understanding who I am as a person and knowing who my actual identity is and not just being an athlete or a student, but being something more than just something uh, you can put a label on. No doubt. Yeah. No doubt. I'm excited to get into all that, man. It's very powerful stuff, and I hope everyone that's watching everyone that's listening uh can learn something and, and be impacted by your story so let's get into it all right we got your mic fixed finally we, we have some issues with that yeah. but technical difficulties glad we got it fixed before we got into the meat of the conversation man i'm really excited about this mm -hmm. um you reached out to me on facebook um asking if you could share your story mm -hmm. um you sent me a link to a talk that you had at your old high school mm -hmm. uh potter's house and uh it moved me, bro. Um, just that 30 minute talk, you know, definitely opened my eyes to, you know, what what you went through. And I think you just scratched the surface in that conversation, um, yeah. you know, with those students. So buckle up, like I said, um, very excited about this, man. But let's talk about your upbringing first mm -hmm. so people can kind of get the full picture mm -hmm. of you. Um, what was the family life like? All that. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I moved to Michigan when I was 15, 16, right around the time when I met you and Josh mm -hmm. Uh Man, before I was born, like, my dad was a pastor for 20, well, 15 plus years. So from birth, I already was born and raised in a church. Yeah. Um, being a natural born preacher's kid, man. Shoot. And one of the only boys that my mom had because my dad was married before. Okay. Um, but my mom raised my dad's kids from the previous marriage. So all those siblings were basically blood. And so it's like, I, I can't even scratch the surface on what it was like being a preacher's kid. And also man. trying to tr uh, juggle being a kid. Like I couldn't, I didn't grow up very bad i didn't grow up bad at all actually i mean i had a very fruitful life and don't yeah, get me wrong yeah. but 
it was a struggle because I had to grow up super early. My my sisters were already in high school mm. or just graduating high school. My sister, I literally went to, I think in the seventh grade, I, not seventh grade, fifth grade, I went to college with my sister. She went to University of Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, she got her master's in psychology there. She was a Delta. So I went there with her and I'm sitting in her classes, like sitting in her college classes, taking notes with her professors. Like, getting, like it was that much of an age gap to where I'm like, dang, I, I'm grown now. Like, it's like, <laughs> but it came with the responsibility of trying to understand what it was like being older or what it was like being the only boy. Like, I was surrounded by women. Even my dad's family is women. Mm. All my cousins are, are, are girls and women. Like, my mom's side, women. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> my uncles weren't around as much as I wanted them to be. My brother wasn't around as much as I wanted him to be. Mm -hmm. He... I think I only saw it like when I was last time I really spent time with him was when I was 10 years old. Damn. Like I seen him here and there. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but he lives in Kalamazoo. Okay. But it's just not the relationship I wanted to have with him. You know, it's like you surround yourself with so many girls, like the only friendships that you can ever have is with girls. Like, yeah. And everybody think, Oh no, you're a player, bro. No, 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 no. You, you got all the hoes. No, no. <laughs> No, I just more comfortable around girls. Like only dudes that I like or yeah. I'm close with is the dudes I was on a team with. Yeah. And that's the basis of why I play sports. Right. That was the reason why I dove so deep into being a part of a team because I felt I was lacking that brotherlyhood bond of understanding how to interact with people. Like I had social I didn't have really good social skills at all, really. I'm a really quiet person. Mm. Even to this day I'm a quiet person. Like people are like, Are you mad? No, I just want to be quiet. Can yeah. I be quiet or no? Like, yeah. do you want me to smile all the time and give you something fake? No, yeah. I'll be real. And I'll be like this <laughs> quiet all the time. But that upbringing was really good. My mom was an accountant. And then when she moved here, she became a teacher student aide at my high school, actually. So she, my mom is probably my rock. Like, mm. I can't stress you. Everybody know their mama. Like, boys and their mama is the youngest. They already know. Like, it's they love their mama. And yeah. I love my mama to death. Yep. So... She was she was the one that really kind of molded me into being a man for a woman, like what a man should be for a woman. Mm -hmm. My grandma did that too as well. Mm -hmm. My dad was just there to be the authoritative, like this is what you're supposed to do as a man. This is how you're supposed to act. This is how this is how this is how all that all the time. Right. So I had that pretty strict, narrow focus of like you go you act like this when you go out in public because you have my name and i'm named after my dad yeah i'm a junior so mm -hmm. i reflected him everywhere i went mm -hmm. everybody that walked i go around somewhere like and especially here in michigan so dutch and my dad was one of the most well-known pastors in the crc denomination yeah if not the most he was served on the board for calvin uh seminary mm -hmm. he was on the board for the crc denomination as a whole traveling all around the world just helping people and doing all that types of stuff so when i went out I wasn't reflecting myself. Yeah, I was reflecting upon him. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, everybody, every kid, when they have a parent that's in high stature, they were a reflection of them. But Absolutely. no, truly, when they saw me, like I got cops pull me over. I haven't got a ticket to this day because my dad is who he is. Dang, got pulled. So, it's 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 not even about got pulled. It's just the, the man's name is just so broad, like Emmett, and you're black. Yeah, like every time I get on the phone with somebody, they're like. Oh, I didn't know you're. I didn't know you're black. When I'm like, what? <laughs> My name's Emmett. Yeah, but <laughs> come on, man, you can't be doing that, man. So it was hard, even in that sense. Like everybody thought thought they knew who you were. Yeah, 
I didn't I, I didn't even know who I was. Mm-hmm. So coming up, bring I I can't even tell you about the struggles besides the fact of living in a shadow. Mm-hmm. Like it was a big one. Yeah. And if it was shaped like a cross. Wow. <laughs> for the most part. And it wasn't it wasn't bad. Yeah. It wasn't I'm not gonna say I grew up in the hood and I watch people die all the time. That's not that's not it. Everybody got something about their life that wasn't perfect. Yeah. And that was the one thing. And sometimes preachers' kids have it just as hard mm-hmm. as guys who grow up with nothing. Right. And I had a lot. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I had nothing sometimes because mm-hmm. I couldn't understand, I couldn't comprehend what I was going through um, growing up. And I think when I was 10 years old, I got diagnosed with this rare nerve disease. I stepped off the curb and twisted my ankle. And I got diagnosed with some rare nerve disease after being in a boot. I got put in a cast. I yeah. got put in another boot. Okay. I got put in a splint. They couldn't tell me what was wrong. And then next thing you know, I go see a specialist. They say, yeah, you have RSD. And we're like, what is that? Yeah, It's one of the leading like nerve diseases that can cause you to be paralyzed from like half side of your body. Dang. So they caught it just before I got paralyzed or my whole body went, that side of my body went numb. And then yeah. after that, you're paraplegic after that because of the fact that you don't have mobility in your hands. You can't, like, you know how when you fall asleep and your yeah. like, arm get locked up yeah. and numb? Mm-hmm. It's that, but 10 times worse. No feeling, mm-hmm. no mobility, nothing. So I caught it, got sent into a Ronald McDonald house in the sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And I was there for like uh, three weeks. Okay. Inpatient. So I was away from my family. My mom came up every day after work and stuff like that. Yeah. People prayed with me, but you know, it just, you just don't feel like. You grow up in a church, you don't feel like people know who you are. Mm-hmm. They they think they know who you are. Oh, that's little EJ. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that kid. Like, he played the drums all the time. Mm-hmm. You don't know me. Yeah. Like, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know my struggles. You don't know. You don't understand. Mm-hmm. And that's what I grew up just thinking and living every day and right. day out, day in. People thinking that they know me, coming mm-hmm. up, saying hi, sending me letters and gifts, and oh man, <laughs> like it's just it's just a struggle with identity. That's, yeah. That was my upbringing, a struggle with identity and understanding who I was. Man, yeah, that's deep, bro. Like the way you said, you know, at, at at church, people act like they know you. I think that's, I mean, society, but but church too. Um, you know, you talk to people in passing. Yeah. Um, a lot of times it's not below the surface. You're not you're not getting anywhere. You're not getting to the thick of it. It's like, yeah. how you doing? Oh, I'm good. God is yeah. good. You know what <laughs> I mean? All the time. All the time. Uh, yeah. All the time. <laughs> it's um, annoying. I was yeah. like, shut up. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's you know really important, man, to 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 have a real community. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, of people that you can really talk to. Yeah. And really let you know like yeah. I am not doing good. You know what all. I mean? And this is why. And the real ones, the real ones that aren't afraid mm-hmm. of the stuff that you say, mm-hmm. and we're about to get into that in a second, those are the real ones. Exactly. That stick by you. Exactly. You know? So, um, hooping, bro. So, like, like I said, I met you around 2012 um, at the Croc. Um, and you came to our I forgot you came to our camp, too. We had... So, uh, at that church room, yeah, yeah at yeah. Calvary, yeah. yeah. Um, wait, how did you get into it, man? So I was probably around, <clears throat> man, I want to say, ten or twelve, 
right after I got had that RSD issue, yeah, I was at clear for sports, and uh, one of my friends, um, Tykeer, he just moved into the neighborhood, and that was the only kid on the block. Mm-hmm. And that's again, I grew up with old people around me all the time <laughs> in the gated community. Yeah. Um. So it was no kids on the block, and then one other girl that lived down the street from me named Sharice. Um. She ended up moving away when her mom passed, so I had nobody after that. It was okay. just him. So I started hanging out with him, uh, his dad, his little brother, uh, his mom. I used to go over there all the time, and then they got me into YMCA leagues at, um, I can't remember, Bedford YMCA in okay. Ohio. Mm-hmm. Man, first real understanding, my dad bought me some retro sixes. Ooh. And I started, yeah. That's <laughs> what my dad, I to be honest, my dad wasn't never not supportive, but when it came to, like, buying me gear, like yeah. he'll buy me some gear. Like okay. I'll make sure he had me in the fly stuff. So <laughs> got me picked me up a retro sixes, had uh ankle socks back in the day because yep. nobody hooked in high not high socks and the baggy shorts. Mm-hmm. Man, first game, I airballed a free throw. Oh dang. In front of a in small YMCAs. If you don't know what a small YMCA look like, is when everybody up against the wall mm-hmm. surrounding the whole entire court. The courts, the lines are this thin yep. from here to the wall. <laughs> Man, air bought the free throw. I looked at my coach. He was like, I'm know. looking like, oh, I don't know if he got it. That. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then after that, I mean, I transformed. Like, I didn't want to ever not suck like that again. Yeah. And I took that to heart. Like, when I air bought that free throw, I'm like, never again. So I, I put in the work in the on the blacktop. We had one right outside the church where everybody in Warrensville used to come and play, like, all the top names. Yeah. I think LeBron even showed up one year, but when I was really little, okay, because um, he was from Akron and he used to hang out in Warrensville all the time and go to Randall Park Mall, mm-hmm. and he was close with my cousins and stuff like that. My sister, he knew my sister of my sister because yeah. he's a lot older, obviously. Okay, you but know that that makes me a little happy. You see, oh yeah, you got a rep, Bron. You know Everybody's gonna saying? probably hate me, but I'm just like, <laughs> bro, I'm from I'm Ohio, man. Yeah, but yeah, so a lot of people, it's a lot of hoopers. That grew up. I used to hang out with this dude named Victor and Brandon. Mm-hmm. They're crazy people, though, but he was crazy. Yeah. Like, really, he always used to pick fights with me all the time in cadets. Wow. But he taught me how to play and be rough, like, mm-hmm. and that gridiron kind of stuff. Like, so I grew up just watching them and trying to mimic all their moves and stuff like that. So I just sat out there all the time with the big people. Yeah. And they used to call me Pee Pee Boy. And I was like, why y'all call me that? Like, I don't get it. Like, they was really lame, honestly. But <laughs> now that I think about it today. But, yeah, so they this is like one of those little bros that just come on the side of court, like, sitting on the ball like this. Yeah, I yeah. was That was that kid. Okay. Um, I was do- dove deep into trying to watch everybody that came in there and played. It was just one dude. He had braids. He went to um, Warrensville. I can't remember his name, but... Mm-hmm. His dad used to work him out on our playground. He used to wear weight vests, doing uh, calf lifts, Dang. running on in our field over there where the kick where we used to have kickball, like mm-hmm. pull ups on the 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 um, on the swing set. Like, dude, and his dad had him in the trenches doing work. Yeah, and I'm just like, man, I did a workout with him and his dad once. I was tired. I came in the house. I'm like, mom, got some food. I'm tired. <laughs> some water. But yeah, it's. That was probably the peak of playing basketball and all that. But I played more sports than that. Mm-hmm. But that was probably when it started. It was when Tykeer moved in the neighborhood, got acclimated to the YMCA. For sure. And trying to, you know, just fit in, Yeah, I guess you can say. And I ended up liking it. So okay. I, kept, I kept going. Yeah. That's dope. Ohio. So 
I lived in Ohio too. Really? Not too long. I wonder why we get along. <laughs> right. From like ages two to probably like seven, we moved it don't here. Matter. You yeah. was from Ohio. You that's why. In Ohio. Truthfully, that's where I learned to play basketball. Um, yeah, um, in our neighborhood, and we played. Um, so I lived right outside of Akron. Um, okay. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. Ohio, that's a great place to to learn how to hoop. For real. Play football, whatever. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Let's take a break real quick, and then we'll get back to it. All right, we back. So got into your story a little bit, you know, growing up in Ohio for the most part, being a preacher's kid. Um, my wife actually, for a short time, not a short time, probably 10, 12 years was a preacher's kid. Um, so her mom remarried a preacher and they're no longer together, but she can kind of understand. It's but united front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, everybody knows. So you say PK. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's exactly everybody's response. I'm like, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, but quick question: like, mm-hmm. what type of pressure was that for you? If words could have meaning, it's me being silent. Mm. That's basically the pressure. Yeah. You were a ghost. Mm-hmm. You were. You were walking through the motions every day of your life, trying to to live up to the expectation of what what God is, who is God to you, what is like. Yeah, I can tell you anything about the Bible you want to know. Like I was really knowledgeable because my dad read me stories. Yeah. When I was on punishment. I had to read the Bible for punishment, or wow. I had to uh, make a report about a verse for punishment if I didn't get beat with a <laughs> with a belt. Uh, so. And it wasn't for him to punish me in terms of, like, you're going to read the Bible. No, yeah. it was him to punish me, to teach me a life lesson. Work, find a lesson about what, you, what you're doing right now, what happened with you. Find me something in the Bible that relates to it and mm-hmm. write me. Write about it. Okay. That's exactly it. And I, I'm that grateful for that. I'm grateful for that part. Yeah. But for everything else that I had to deal with in terms of the pressure of my father making me perfect, mm-hmm. that was, that's what broke me. Yeah, and I didn't feel the broke like you never will feel broken until you're away mm-hmm. from your family. Yeah, you never will feel the broken until you're actually adult and you have to deal with it. Yeah, you have to learn how to understand it. You got to learn how to to mold it. You got to learn how, what it feels like. Like I didn't know what it felt like up until I got to college. Mm-hmm. It was it was a weight that just crushed me every day i'm just feeling like i'm getting smushed down by a giant man and that was that was emotion yeah the the giant is the emotion right and you're just a little speck that's trying to overtake it and it's hard to to try to battle it and take it back over but when you have things that consistently go wrong and consistently things that aren't working out you put in so much time putting so much effort into being the best that you can yeah making it like, I literally worked so hard going from being at a small school. I got invited to be at the USA Junior National Camp in, mm-hmm. in Colorado. Man. You know why I couldn't go? Why is that? Church. Mm. I couldn't play AAU because of church on Sunday. Yeah. My dad didn't allow it. So whatever AAU team that I hopped from, I hopped from, like, five different AAU teams. Yeah. Because of the fact that I had to find an AAU team that played in the summers during, like, maybe Thursday to Saturday. Mm-hmm. And then Saturday, I'm able to get back home and go to church. Right, right. Keep up appearances, whatever. 
So it was it was tough because now I can't I can't even do the sport I love right. because I couldn't get recruited by the teams I wanted to get recruited by yeah. or get the looks that I wanted to get looked by because you first don't want to pay for it because it, it's on a church day and mm-hmm. I'm not really mad about it or whatever. He got me into camps, a lot of college camps, D1, Central mm-hmm. Michigan. I went to theirs, Grand mm-hmm. Valley. I went to theirs. I went to Michigan State camp. I went to Ohio State camp. So I'm not mad at that, but being a part of the USA Junior National Team, like I got to play with some, man, dudes that had to go. Dogs. I remember watching, I think, one uh, one year in AAU, we played against Ben Simmons' team. Okay. When I tell you, this boy, I ran past because I knew I was about to get dunked on. <laughs> so he he took off with one foot every time. So he coming full head of steam. I'm ducking, cut across, try to cut him off, and swipe at the ball. Cause I ain't standing there. My teammate got caught because he's trying to play help side. Yeah. This other boy coming down the court because he thought he was going to throw a lob. Mm-hmm. Nope. He took off. One leg did some weird, you know how he used to do that little reverse little, yeah. and then dunk with his left hand. Yep, yep, yep. He he took off on the wrong foot. Yeah, he'd be doing that. He did it on purpose. Mm. He he and he actually when I watched his documentary, he said he trained to do that on purpose. Yeah, I was like, bro, you different. Yeah, he ended up on his mixtape. Wow, because he decided to stand there. <laughs> I was like, see, so it's this meeting with him. Uh, I think Jeremy Blakely. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't believe it was Jeremy Blakely. No, Malik. Malik Blakely. Okay. The one that plays overseas that was from Florida. Mm-hmm. I think that's his name. Mm-hmm. He was there. Um, whew. What's the other dude from Florida? They're from uh, Lakewood, Lakeland. Okay. Can't remember their names, honestly. But yeah. there was a lot of people that are in the NBA now or playing overseas right now. Okay. And it's crazy. Nobody in Grand Rapids knew I was there. Wow. No, none of my teammates, none of nobody that I hoop with now, mm-hmm. or that knew of me, or I used to go out hooping. Like nobody really truly knew that I was that good. Yeah. Cause I never. First of all, I never thought I was that good. Mm-hmm. I had talent, but my talent was just hard work. Mm-hmm. Like I just worked hard yeah. all the time. Yeah. Like, and when I got invited to that um, camp, I was just in awe. Wow. Like, it was crazy, but it was a toll, too, like, because I'm thinking, man, I can't play here. Mm-hmm. I can never play overseas. I can never do what I want to do. I don't even really want to go to the NBA. Yeah. And then there was the next year, uh, before that even happened, a guy named Brad, uh, who, co- uh, who coached that, um, he helped out with Ottawa football team back in the day. Um, okay. His son, Zeke. uh uh, D Wade, uh, Coach Q, um, who did Young Life. They took me oh, to yeah, a, yeah, they took Quentin. me to a camp mm-hmm. um, out in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. and it was a big camp for people all over New. For people from the Bronx was there. People yeah. from um, Queens, people from uh, Kansas, yeah. Texas. Like it was a big camp, and I went with all the Ottawa boys mm-hmm. to that camp. And Coach Noble, man, Coach Noble was had. That <laughs> all the good drills back Mike, in the day. Mike, Mike Noble. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then I remember trying to do the drills with him, and I had to step aside and say, "Oh, honey, bro, what do I do? <laughs> I don't know how to do this. It's too fast." Yeah. And so like, yeah, I had mentorship from Ohani, even though he was younger than me. Like me and OJ, like 
he helped me out like when mm -hmm. my hand was getting them right mm -hmm. but my i remember brad in that tournament because it was a big old tournament that we played in that brad was like i see you playing in the league when you get older yeah i'm just like you're funny <laughs> like <laughs> i'm not gonna be playing in no league yeah so after that i just molded myself into someone who didn't really have the love like my friends did for mm -hmm. the game, mm -hmm. but I pretended to okay. have it. It's not even like pretended as in like, oh, I was just being here just to be here. No, I just didn't know what it was like for them. Like they right. had the deep, I was always envious of them. Mm -hmm. Like I I was kind of jealous, like, dang, bro, I wish I could love the game as much as you do. Yeah. So when did the love, did it ever come? It was there. But I don't even think it was real love. I think it was an escape. Okay. It was a it was a reliever of stress. Yeah, yeah. It was it was something I was good at, so I kept going with it. Mm -hmm. um, it's something about me that a lot of people may know or may not know. If I fail, I'm making sure that I never fail again. Yeah. If I make a mistake, I'm making sure that mistake never happens twice. Right. So whenever I got injured or whenever I made a mistake in practice or whenever I got um, in trouble, I made sure that that instance or that mistake or that um, shot was never missed again. Like I remember yeah. I missed like two free throw, three free throws in a row. Every first free throw that I had for a sequence of five free throws when I got fouled all the time, mm -hmm. I missed out of those five times I missed I believe three of the, those free throws. Dang. So every time I went to the line, I missed the first one. Yeah. Made the second one. Mm -hmm. went, missed the first one, made the second one. Mm -hmm. The whole game. I was pissed. Yeah. My dad had me outside in the snow. He shelled out a little free throw lane and just shooting free throws all night long until mm -hmm. my fingers were numb. Dang. So it's just the dedication was there, but the love wasn't yeah. the way I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. But I guess that's every kid, but it it was just that that kind of stuff that molded me into trying to understand the pressure for sure and i, I trying to trying to understand where it was coming from yeah i couldn't understand it mm -hmm. but i tried my best to understand it until i got to college and that's when i really that's when i knew yeah that's when i knew it was like go big go home or and if i didn't go to community college first probably wouldn't have kept up with it i probably would have dropped out mm -hmm. did not play ever again okay. but the coach i had was the reason why i kept, yeah. kept going okay let's get into that man um college college ball uh watching your 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 talk um on youtube you had a bit of a rough rough start Ooh, talk about that big rough start so let's say first first year first practice into the new year i'm moving away from my parents in battle creek terrible place very small city <laughs> downtown is literally like half a block yeah. but the coach coach reed called me right when i got a letter in the mail from liberty university that right before i left for school for kellogg um right as i graduated college i mean high school i got a letter in the mail from liberty saying that they had interest in me for being a preferred walk-on, and I've been trying to get that spot because D1 schools only were offering me preferred walk-on spots. Yeah. They wasn't offering me no scholarship, and I understood that. Mm -hmm. So I'm getting ready to to put in that letter, put in that email, say I'm coming, but then they give me another notice. They send me an email to my mom saying that they wanted me to 
look at other schools. And I'm like, why? Hmm. So he gave me a call and he's like, yeah, man, I just heard that you got into a, you had a couple injuries that we're scared about. So we want you to go to community college or, cause I know it's late in the game to go to some other school. So go mm-hmm. to a community college, get your skills up and get ready. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll start looking at you again. And I'm just like, tough, man. Yeah. I was like, you gotta be kidding me, bro. Yeah. All my other options were gone because I was banking on this one. Mm-hmm. Cause I wanted to get as far away as I could, not because of the fact that I wanted to get away from my family or anything like that. I just wanted to experience life as for me. Yeah. So got to college at Kellogg. Love Coach Reed. Crazy though. Dude, man, wild. But he was all American at uh Western Michigan. Okay. Yeah. Battle Creek native dude was the like you know you know uh American Gangster the movie? Yeah. He was that guy. Okay. He was that guy in Battle Creek. Yeah. You didn't mess with him. Everybody knew him. If you walked out in the public and you had Kellogg on, they knew that you played for him. Yeah. And you would get he would know that what you did before mm-hmm. he even asked you. And if you lied to him, <laughs> bad. Don't lie but to him. <laughs> first practice. Kid you not, go up for a layup. And this was a midnight practice, too. Like, he didn't care. Mm-hmm. Like, it was the first practice, too. And it was like conditioning. Then we played after. And he believed in conditioning. Sweaty floor. And this was right before they remodeled everything. It was a sweaty floor. I mean, he got hot in there. So everybody's slipping around. If you fall once, the whole floor is going to be slippery for the rest of the practice. Dang. So I'm in, uh, going up for a layup. We're doing three, uh, three on two, two on one full court. Mm-hmm. I had the perfect lane to dunk, mm-hmm. and I was getting ready to get up. Like I wanted to slam this thing home because we all hype in there because it's so hot. That's the only way you can <laughs> survive. Yeah, bro. Went up. One of these dudes, man, that was older, um, came up and undercut me as I'm going up, and I'm just like, bro, are you serious? So I'm coming up, and next thing you know, I'm falling backwards this way, mm. and then I level myself back out, and I land directly on my knee, like one leg just all yeah. the, and all I hear is a I'm just like coach something's wrong he said I don't care keep running oh wow so I kept running did all the conditioning I'm limping running like I'm mm-hmm. just like I just hurt bad mm-hmm. next day I went back to practice knee swollen as a mug mm-hmm. went back home because I'm like coach I need to go back home I need to go to the doctor and he thought I was faking mm-hmm. like coach didn't like me for a minute Mm-hmm. He put all that bank into me saying that he wanted me to come there and stuff, transform the team, basically. Mm-hmm. And I go back, go see um, my doctor, Dr. Kendall. He said, yeah, you ruptured your knee. I broke my kneecap, and I ruptured my patella tendon, so that thing just exploded. I brought my MRI back to school, yeah. and I showed him. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, that was bad. Yeah. So that, that season was over. Like, my season... Just like that. Over. So, the right then and there, like, that was my first time I ever felt like how I was when I was 10 years old. Okay. Distrut. Yeah. Didn't know what was going to happen next. Pissed off because I just wanted to do one and done. Pissed off because now I got to come back. I worked so hard to get here. Now I got to come back, get back to the skill I had. Yeah but also try to keep up on the skills that I already had, but get better at the same time as everybody else is getting better. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible. If any athlete know what it's like to get injured and watch their teammates get better and have success, 
that's what it felt like. Mm. But then again, I didn't like them. Yeah. I didn't like the team that was there when I was my first year there. I'm glad I didn't play that year because I never liked any of them. Okay. They're all selfish. Not all of them, I say. It was it was a lot. It was a really it was a select few that was really there for me. Right. Because I didn't know anything about Battle Creek. They took me around, showed me around places. Yeah. But they didn't like three of us. It was me, um, my roommate MJ, and then this guy named Darian Burkett. Okay. Dog. He went yeah. to Gold Lake. They both went to Gold Lake. Okay. But yeah, they both. Darian had to sit out too because he ruptured his knee in high school. He broke his knee in high school. So we were just all three of us were sitting out. So we bonded, mm-hmm. and that's who I came to like. And it was with my brothers. Like if if I had if I had another mother, that would be the brothers that I had. The mother, like that's right. the brothers I had. Right. So it was tough because. Then I, I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a ball in my hand. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what else to do. Man, I didn't wait. even know. I didn't even know what what I wanted to major in. Yeah. But I always knew I was good at art. So that year, I remember I skipped almost every class. Mm-hmm. Did not go to class. I always came home, talking to girls that shouldn't even be talking. Just focused. I should have been focused on getting better. Mm-hmm. But it was just that time of reflection that I was just like, man, this sucks. Right. I was down, dumps. And then I get this call from my grandma because I know she was, like, sick mm-hmm. or whatever back in Cleveland. And I'm, like, talking to her. She's not fully responsive. Like, she's not talking back really that much. But I'm just talking to her and trying to talk to her and say what's up and see how she's doing and because she was in the hospital for a while and then hung up the phone thinking everything good and I feel better because my I got to talk to her and mm-hmm. talk to my um <clears throat> my aunt who was there and my dad was there with her and stuff like that next thing you know I get a call from my sister and I'm like oh I get to talk to more people this is great <laughs> no yeah. I wasn't because mm-hmm. she said grandma coded mm-hmm. three times on the table and they couldn't revive her, she died. And I was in the middle of practice, like we're getting ready to start, I think we're getting ready to start practice and I'm walking walking out to answer the phone call before I, before I uh, started practice because my coach never allowed phones in the gym. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I'm already got a peg leg, I dropped to the floor. Yeah. Like legit drop, like just think about all the weight, just Yeah. He came over, ran over, because he thought I hurt myself again or whatever. And he saw me crying. He's like, what's wrong? I'm like, my grandma just died. And he was like, wait, what? What happened? I was like, my sister just called me. He said, I thought you just talked to your grandma. I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but my sister just called me. And it was like a span of an hour. Wow. And next thing you know, I got more more death to deal with. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm just like, dude, and I never was good with death ever. Like it was never something I was able to understand or comprehend. Yeah. So once I got got up, he was like, hey, "Do you need to go out in the, the hallway and scream and throw something? Go ahead." I went out in the hallway. I couldn't throw nothing because I was already <laughs> got a peg leg. So the most I can do is just sit there and cry, like, and just scream. Yeah. And in that moment. I couldn't understand what was going on with me. In that moment, I was just like screaming, just fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah. All the yeah. time. I hear you. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't what I expected. 
it was it was tough. Yeah. Man, that's that's hard, bro. Um, losing anybody, but yeah, granny, grandma, yeah, I lost mine in twenty twenty. Um, lost my granny and my granddad on the other side um, in twenty twenty. So yeah. definitely know how it feels, bro. It's yeah. uh, it's it's tough. Um, so what what did they say she passed of? It was just a cardiac arrest and with a heart attack combined, mm. and she was just old. And yeah, my cousins didn't notice what was going on until it was too late. Yeah, so I never blamed them for anything, obviously, because she was old and she was stubborn. Okay. So, okay, and she was Jamaica, like she's from an old lady from Jamaica. So it's like you, she's stubborn. You know that <laughs> she ain't gonna do nothing she don't want to do. Yeah. So I understood that it's, it's, it's life and death happens. Mm-hmm. But it's when that death happens, when you're already going through something that's already so heavy. And that's probably why it hit me harder because right. I didn't have nothing to do mm-hmm. but sit there and feel it. Yeah. And you don't, you're not playing a game that that you enjoy. When you go on that court in between them lines, those feelings yeah. disappear. But yeah. when you go back to them, mm-hmm. that's when you can feel them. That's when you can kind of let it sit in but exactly. you already got all that stress out and all that problems out but it still comes back obviously right but it's easier to deal with when you have something to throw or <laughs> something to shoot or it's just it's just a lot easier I yeah get, athletes will understand what i mean by that yeah i'll totally get it man um so yeah basically back-to-back devastating things happen to you in one um, span of it six months yeah and on top of that Outside of basketball, you don't know who you are. So it's like, I know how that feels like. You don't know who you are. You don't know what you bring to the table. So it's going to make you feel even lower. Exactly. Um, so hearing you talk again, you know, you had your first suicide attempt. Yeah. Um, so talk about the things that accumulated that got you to that moment. Shoot. That first year, I couldn't travel with the team. I was basically on bed rest after I got out of class. Mind you, I have to crutch a mile and a half to school from my apartment to our campus across traffic that whole year almost. I mean, I had the softball girls who gave me rides to class when I had class with them. Whenever I had class with them, but I didn't have class with them all the time, so I had to crutch to school sometimes. Yeah. But I had to go to talk with my professors. I had to crutch there. So it was hard to get around not having a car to drive because I was on crutches. Mm. It was it was a lot. Um, being in class, not even paying attention, walking through the motions, missing my mom, missing missing being around just people because can't be around nobody because I'm just on crutches. Like yeah. I can't do much. Right. So whenever I got to go to practice, it was okay. But it's like, what I, what do I do after? Yeah. What do I do when they're playing in games? Like, I'm just sitting at home watching TV. So I remember it was February or Jan, February or March of 2016. MJ just got home from the game. By that time, I was already, already down, like, two bottles of NyQuil. I was so heavily sedated that... I'm just sitting there with my eyes just wide open, like trying to stay awake. Now, it's crazy because I didn't understand 
what happened to come to that. It's just emotion and feeling that you just dropped to. And yeah. I, I would never take anything from anybody, but sometimes people do things for a cry for help, and, yeah, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I literally just wanted to go. Right. I didn't care. I, I was so far gone, I couldn't tell you why. I didn't understand why. I mm-hmm. just didn't understand at all. Yeah. So as soon as he got home, I'm watching, I think it was the last song. Mm-hmm. And it it was a song the the movie with Miley Cyrus. Don't don't make fun of me, but <laughs> that movie was pretty good. But uh, her dad died of cancer and she's playing this song on the piano. It's a uh, it's actually a song, a symphony song that some guy um, made for this, the movie. Yeah. And I'm just sitting there, and it hit me. Mm. And I'm just bawling. And he comes into the room. He's like, dude, are you all right? Like, I was like, he thought I was sick mm-hmm. or something. And then he saw the NyQuil on the side of the table, both the NyQuils that we had just for when we got sick. Yeah. I downed both of them, gone. Just. Mm. And he's, like, calling his sisters and scrambling, like, what do we do? Like, do I call his parents? Do I call his sister? And she just told him to keep me awake. And if I didn't ever get woken up or kept awake or having him there, either I would have kept going until I kept drowning off Mm -hmm. or I would have faded off by myself. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that, that he was there and to be with me in that moment. Mm -hmm. But in that moment, I can't even tell you what it was like. Yeah. It was it was a lot of emotion and a lot of pain that I couldn't I couldn't feel. Like mm-hmm. I felt numb. And that's the feeling that I kept going for because every time I made myself numb or I took my pain pills for instance, I was numb, so I felt great. Yeah. I felt uh, I felt loose. Mm-hmm. I felt good. Mm-hmm. And every person that struggles with something like that, they will understand. Like addict, they know when they feel loose, yeah. they feel good. Like yeah. they feel like themselves when they're loose. Right. I didn't feel like myself in my own skin when I didn't have something under the influence. That's powerful, man. That's 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 crazy. And I'll tell you right now, all my boys here, Malik, Arsenio, anybody that Jeff Drake taught, anybody that I was close with or I was heavily like hooped with. They always ask me, like, bro, what, like, why you own that? Like, mm-hmm. nobody really knew. Mm-hmm. Like, I can walk around with them, everything be cool, we go hoop. But when I get home, then I'm a different person. Yeah. I'm not the same guy that you just stepped on the court with. I'm different. Right. I'm not the same person that you went to school with. I'm different. Nobody knew about it. I never, never talked about it. Mm-hmm. Nobody could ever see it either because I hit it so well. Yeah. I hit it for myself, too. So it was just a constant back and forth. And going back to that night, that was the first time that I ever attempted suicide. Mm -hmm. And so when somebody says they attempted suicide, people always go to, oh, cutting themselves Mm -hmm. or trying to hang themselves. There's differences to all of those. Yeah. I took the slow approach to feeling like when you take drugs to, to, to kill yourself, it's it's more of a, a numbing. You're trying to numb the most of the pain that you can. Mm-hmm. When you go to hanging yourself, you're just trying to end your life quickly. Yeah. 
cutting yourself is a slow thing too but you're not even trying to kill yourself when you cut your hands open but that's the quickest way to die if you cut your hand open in the tub yeah that's how every movie portrays it Mm -hmm. and nobody really understands what it's like to try to commit suicide they don't understand what it's like when you get addicted to drugs for sure hey man we'll stop there let's take a break it's getting good (laughs) yeah uh, we'll be right back all right, we back. Um, before we went on break, there was the there's a quote that you had in your talk, bro, that hit me. It hit me hard. Um, talking about your first suicide attempt, um, you said I didn't know what it meant to be strong in that moment. Like I said, that hit me hard. Like what? I guess what did you mean by that? And I was thinking, I saw that when you sent me the notes. And when you said that, I'm like, dang, he picked that one. Because that one is the one. I came up with that by myself. Mm. And when I said it, and it's crazy because I'd never, I didn't mean to say that out loud. Like, it, it was never written anywhere. Yeah. I just said it in, in the midst of the conversation of telling the story. But not knowing how to be strong in a moment is the exact definition of what it is. Yeah. It's the notion of feeling so beat down and so weak and so misunderstood and so 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 sad mm-hmm. that you have no feeling or emotion to to know what it's like to to push past it. You didn't know where to go after you didn't know if there was an after. I didn't know if I ever had a tomorrow yeah. every day. Mm-hmm. I always planned for the future. Mm-hmm. I never planned for the day and focused on the next day and the right. next day. So to be strong in the moment, to definition, is the exact thing. You have to be strong in the moments when you feel the weakest. Yeah. You have to be strongest when you feel and undercome adversity. And sometimes that adversity takes different forms. In my case, it took the form of ending my life. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what it meant to push past that adversity. I didn't know what it meant to hold myself together in a, a, a form. I felt like I was broken up into a million pieces. My body was scattered all over America. <laughs> like I couldn't understand how to feel. Mm-hmm. I was numb to everything mm-hmm. without the drugs. It it didn't take on me until that day that I really was messed up. Yeah. It didn't take that I really needed help. Yeah. But also I didn't want it because I was like, no, I'm the next day, so I'm I'm good now. I was smiling the next day. Right. That wasn't okay. Whenever mm-hmm. you smile after something like that, you still have to go seek what you need to be better and prepare for the next day after that. Right. Because there may be a day where it comes where you're the same. Yeah. And that was my mistake. Yeah, so talk. That's good. Talk. Yeah, just talk about that next day. And the following days, what what happened? Did you, it sounded like you just kind of continued life like I continued nothing life. happened. Okay. So if you ever think about where you if somebody ever hears about an addict mm-hmm. and they go to AA mm-hmm. and they relapse right or they're just addicted and they keep going to AA but they keep relapsing mm-hmm. it's because they keep wanting to be okay yeah 
that's their version of it. Okay. It's not the it's not the the psychiatrist's version or the therapist's version of being okay. It's not you getting help and then quitting what you're doing to be okay. It's you feeling better when you are doing what you're doing. Yeah. And drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. In my case, being okay was just acting normal. Right. Being normal. Mm-hmm. But I was stupid and naive to know there's no such thing as a normal person right. in this world right. ever. And if anybody tells you there is, they're lying to you. I'm sorry. Agreed. So I just kept being a ghost, kept being a shadow. I remember uh, going into that summer, we started a day in the life um, right as the season ended. Me and my friends, we started a day in the life uh, video because mm-hmm. we we're always redshirted. So we all had to sit and wait yeah no mj was the only one that could practice so we literally just sitting mm-hmm. around doing nothing all the time so we started a day in the life because we saw all these uh balls life people starting day in the lives and stuff so we're like you know what let's start one yeah so that kind of kept me busy too mm-hmm. um mj started to we started to do a start a documentary but we never <laughs> finished it obviously about um, being in Battle Creek and being our daily selves and was never going to talk about what I was going to talk about, like what I'm talking about now because right. I never would in a day in my life mention that up and put it in a documentary. Okay. It would never, it would never cross my mind to, to open up to people and say, this is what I'm going to, I'm going to tell you this right mm-hmm. now because I think everybody needs to hear it. Yeah. I remember one year. I can't remember if that was that same year, but it was, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the Jay Williams story when mm-hmm. he got in that motorcycle accident. Yeah. And he was addicted to his stuff. Yeah. I'm like, dang, somebody's like me. Yeah. Somebody that's this high up that did, the, like, that put in work right. to be in the NBA right. and actually be successful dealt with this. Yeah. So then that's what opened my eyes to more student, like, student athletes or any athlete professional wise that had the same problem yeah so going into that next year i was better putting in the work rehabbing hard when i got home that was my therapy Mm -hmm. that was me getting better okay because i told myself in the back of my head that if i did this one thing everything else will turn out to be okay Mm -hmm. so that's why i just never really saw it as a problem okay and what's crazy because that year, I think it was right after this, uh, when I got out of this relationship with this girl, um, my mom had my old phone at the house and she saw the messages of what I texted the girl about what happened. Oh, okay. And that was the first time my mom ever like kind of caught a glimpse of what was going on because she never could figure it out. Yeah. She never could understand because I never said anything. I was like, hey, mom, I'm okay, I'm okay, mm-hmm. I'm okay. Never wanted her to worry about anything. Yeah. And then when it happened, she asked me, and I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to deny all all things. Yeah. And she showed me the phone, and she said, I saw this. Yeah. I'm just like, oh. Was that girl the first person that you opened up to about the situation not purposefully okay we were her parents didn't want her to see me or anything like that so 
and don't it, it was a, a whole story behind that and it's, mm -hmm. that won't get into that <laughs> <laughs> nothing i did like wrong but she was she they were just strict and she didn't want to respect them for it okay she wanted to see me and she was she cared about me and then when she heard about it through mj because mj befriended some of her friends because uh she was a senior in high school and i was a freshman in college so was, mm -hmm. and she went to caledonia so it's like when that happened um her friends were told by mj and then mj oh, got it. told her yeah friends and then that all how that transpired yeah so when she texted me she's like no don't do that stop doing that mm -hmm. and that that's when i started to get addicted to my muscle relaxers after that conversation with my mom okay so i found a dealer in battle creek yeah who i went to class i had class with mm -hmm. and he gave it to me those like they were i don't know if they were prescriptions or not but they were the same stuff mm -hmm. oxy Talk, not to interrupt. Talk about. So I guess what what made you, like, get into taking the muscle relaxers, the oxy after that conversation with your mom. I know it was, it was probably something that scared you, or like, what what emotions kind of, you know, made you get into that. Fear. Okay. Fear of letting them down, and that's what it all was being taught that you have to be perfect with everything you did yeah everything you touch needs to be perfect because mm -hmm. god was perfect mm -hmm. i'm not god right everybody in our church thought i was perfect i was a perfect little kid i was a perfect kid growing up i was the golden child i was this i was that it's a lot of pressure pressure so much and sometimes i felt like it fell all on me mm -hmm. and not my sisters or anything and mm -hmm. don't know why i can never tell i can never tell you why but i just felt like i had all the pressure and they it's not like they didn't but i felt like it just came on me because i was the man in the house basically yeah, the yeah. last man in the house mm -hmm. so i felt like i had to do everything perfectly mm -hmm. i had to make sure everything panned out perfectly yeah. if i didn't i failed and if i failed i would never get back from it and if yeah. i didn't get back from it stop what you're doing yeah don't do it anymore right and i never wanted to be that way mm -hmm. So every time I had a chance to make up for anything, I kept going. Mm -hmm. So in order for me to be better, I had to take the oxy. Mm -hmm. I had to force myself to get out of my skin. Mm -hmm. It was really hard because I was a quiet person. And yeah, I socialized with people a lot. Mm -hmm. I had friends at school. Yeah. But that oxy helped me feel good. It helped me feel alive. Like yeah. I felt dead. I'm sure it did. Dead inside. Yeah. And that whole summer, leading up all the way up until my last year at Kellogg, I was taking them periodically, drinking uh, yeah, heavily, becoming like not even an alcoholic, but I was I was able to the point where I could down a whole two bottles of liquor and not even feel anything dang, the next bro. day. No yeah. hangover. Yeah. So I was like, dang, I don't feel nothing. I'm going to keep going. And whenever somebody drink alcohol, you just keep going. Yeah. Even if you do feel it, I felt... <laughs> Nobody really understands. I felt alive when I drank. Mm -hmm. I felt alive when I was able to let loose and to break away from this notion of what the status quo of what a normal person was. Most of us do. So question, when you came off the high, like were you ever off the high or was it just like a constant thing? If I'm being honest, it was constant. Wow. But it wasn't me constantly taking them. But 
the way droughts work, you're never really off of them the next day yeah. or the day after. You have to wait weeks, months mm-hmm. before it's truly, truly out of your system and detox. Okay. So Oxy was even stronger than what I take now is Adderall. So mm-hmm. just think about it. I took high prescription of Adderall just to stay focused in school. <laughs> plus two Oxys I take. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to take two ever. Yeah. I've, I'll be honest. I was like, I probably seem normal to everybody. Mm-hmm. Nobody probably even knew about it, mm-hmm. except for the people that was close to me, and that was MJ, and that yeah. was the only person. Right. My parents didn't even know, because if they knew, my mom never liked me taking those drugs when I had my surgeries. Yeah. It was just, no, you're going to take them when I give them to you, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. So it was a constant of just popping, living, popping, living, popping, living, drinking, popping, living. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a constant remix of just filling the void of what it's like to be me. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, everybody saw me as this great person, and I was cool to be around. I was funny. I was goofy. But that was a front mm-hmm. of what it, I didn't peop- want people didn't (laughs) what i wanted people not to see yeah i can 100 percent see why you needed that escape it was it was it was needed and i'll never say that i wish i never went through it but i'll be a liar if i said that because i wouldn't be here today if i didn't go through it yeah i wouldn't be the man i am today if i didn't go through it right i'd probably be some a-hole trying to make it somewhere yeah. and keep keep up with something that didn't want me. Right. I thought basketball didn't want me. Mm-hmm. I thought basketball said I was I was I was a neglection. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't deserve it. Right. So I medicated mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. None of that, none of what you went through is in vain. I believe it. I think you believe it too. Um, you know, one of the reasons why you went through it is to tell the story. Who knows? Who knows who's going to watch this? Exactly. And yeah. the life that you might save. Who knows how many lives you saved when you went back to your school and, and, and talked that day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so how how f- far in between or how far apart were your first and second suicide attempts? Um, probably a year and a half. Okay. Okay. So what happened then? So uh, there was um, going into my year, the first year of freshman freshman year, where I was actually able to play. Mm-hmm. I played on the limp the whole year because I found out right before I had my first game that I had to get another surgery. Jeez. But on my opposite leg, yeah. and I already went through two surgeries of fixing the first injury. Yeah. yeah. So now I'm on my third surgery, and I haven't even touched the court yet. Mm-hmm. I said, you got me messed up. I'm not sitting out another another season. Right. I told my mom and dad that. I was like, I'll play on the limp if I got to. Yeah. My coach told me he played on the limp mm-hmm. just to go play in Europe because he never traveled overseas or rode a plane before when he played wow. at Western. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to be strong. And that's one thing about Coach Reed that I will always love. Dude pushed me to my limits mm-hmm. in the game, mm-hmm. even in life, too. Mm-hmm. I remember he suspended me 
because he thought I was skipping class, but my teacher was texted the the AD the wrong thing when she was trying to get the game schedule so make sure I didn't miss the bus. Yeah. And I was able to still go to class. And she was my graphic design teacher, so our classes lasted like three hours long almost. Mm -hmm. So the way she (laughs) texted the email made it seem like I was skipping class. And I already got in trouble for it, or he already talked to me about it before I started playing. Like, if you keep skipping class, you're going to have to go home. Wow. And my parents didn't know that, obviously, because it was like he knew what was going on. So he wasn't going to be like that person to be like, yeah, Mm -hmm. go home. Mm -hmm. He knew what type of person I was, what kind of family I came from. Right. The caliber of person and caliber of player that I was. So when he did that, I was hit. I was like, dang, I never got in trouble like this before. So I had to write this whole, like, two to five-page essay for him. Yeah. Giving him a reason why I should stay, why why he should give me a second chance, Mm -hmm. and why school is important. Okay. And the reason why he did that is because the injury that I had is easily a career ending. Yeah. Easily. And then on top of that, going into my next year, my doctors didn't even know how I was still playing. (laughs) Like, like, dude, like, you're broken. Yeah. So going into that year, after getting suspended and coming back, nobody beat me Mm -hmm. at all. Practice every day. I'm going out every day everybody mm-hmm. we had this thing called no shame mondays <laughs> i love that day because it was kind of painful too though yeah day. yeah because no rules no out of bounds nothing dang it's gridiron everybody man for themselves you get thrown into bleachers get up rugged you get thrown into the wall get up mm-hmm. you get hammered going to the rack get up mm-hmm. like you you're not winking it out of the gym without proving your what your worth yeah and we had this big dude named Kurt on the team. Curtis Trigg, he went to Battle Creek Central. He was a Hall of Famer there. Mm-hmm. Dude had bounce out the boing. Like, he was shorter, dude. Probably a little bit shorter than you. Mm-hmm. But he can jump. Mm-hmm. He's strong, athletic. I remember I went to go grab the ball from him because I already elbowed him in the back of the head on the possession before. Yeah. And he had my number. Oh, man. He knew he knew exactly what. So he waited for me to go reach the ball. He literally stood there and watched me go grab it mm-hmm. just so he can just ram me into the wall. When I got up from that, everybody thought I was dead because I was like, <laughs> I just hit the wall. All you heard was boom. Yeah. I'm just sitting there like this. <laughs> man, I got up so quick. I got in his face. Yeah. And we literally talking like this close. Mm-hmm. And Curtis, Curtis scary, man. I'm not going to lie. Kids in Battle Creek. They not know nobody to be messed with. Like yeah, you man. just don't just talk to nobody from Battle Creek and right. be like, oh yeah, it's whatever. Nah, he wanted all the smoke with me. And my coach looked at me, he was like, because I was that kid that didn't really want confrontation, but if you test me, that's the end of it. Like I had anger issues mm-hmm. at that point. And then maybe it was from the drugs. Yeah. Maybe it was from medicating. Maybe it was because I was just feeling like attacked all the time. Yeah. But whoever said something to me sideways, I made sure they didn't hear the last of it. And on the court, this dude named Raekwon, who was on the team, scrub. Mm-hmm. Just complete scrub. Yeah. I did him so dirty in practice every day because he wanted to say something about me not eating pork on my pizza. I coach bought us Little Caesar's pizza, and he was like, you don't eat pork? Are you are you uh, Muslim, Muslim or something? Yeah. I was like, no, I just don't eat pork. It's the fattiest meat you can have. Yeah. Why yeah. would I eat that? <laughs> And he was like, oh, okay. 
And then Raekwon was like, hey, man, you need to eat it. You need to get in the weight room. I'm like, Raekwon, you're like this big. Right. And then Coach was like, yeah, Raekwon, you don't want to mess with EJ. And I, he, <laughs> I was like, bro, I'll eat you. Like, <laughs> like, come on. Like, this is no joke. Like, don't play with me. Yeah. Got into practice that day. I literally, like, because it was a No Shame Monday day, so I took that advantage. And I gave him the meanest stiff arm mm-hmm. going up for a left-handed layup. Knowing he's so small, so I, he had grabbing my arm, trying to ride me to the rim. I took his arm, wrapped it up with me. I stopped, let him have it on, threw him into the wall. Golly. And that was it. Yeah. But going into that year, I made sure nobody touched me. Yeah. Nobody was ever to beat me. Nobody mm-hmm. beat me in the sprint. Coach said, if you were, if you come in first, when, on our 10th sprint, you weren't working hard. Mm. But if you come in first or third, first or third in that area, the top three, top four, mm-hmm. every five, and you came in fifth, sixth, mm-hmm. the last five, and then the 10th one, maybe that you came in almost last, mm-hmm. you were working harder mm-hmm. than everybody else. Yeah. I made sure they didn't beat me on the 10th. Mm. Any. We did crab cross. You didn't beat me in that. We mm-hmm. did stairs. You didn't beat me in that. Yeah. We did weight room. I did more reps than you. Yeah. I outworked everyone just to get back to where I was, the show coach that I belonged here. Yeah. And that's one thing about what I went through. Basketball was just something to prove. Mm-hmm. In Potter's House, nobody went D1 in basketball ever in mm-hmm. school history. Mm-hmm. Never. At all. It was not a thing. But our our athletic director didn't believe in me. So every letter that I got that was from a D1 school, I threw it on his desk. Mm. I threw a whole stack of them on his desk, and I was like, look, now help me out or stop. So I guess what I was trying to do with basketball was to prove something. It wasn't wasn't for the love. It was to prove that I was good enough to belong. Yeah. Did you feel like since it wasn't love and you're doing it to prove others wrong, did it? Did it run its course eventually? It ran its course, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I had none left to really prove. Because I made it to, it's, I made it to a point where I'm, I'm about to be a pro yeah. right after I graduated senior year. Yeah, I can, I can go play somewhere overseas. Mm-hmm. Got the letters, I got the the emails to prove it. Yeah, got the the contract ready to sign, getting ready to go. Right. So at that point, I'm just like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> but that year. Played on a limp the whole year. Started every game. Mm-hmm. We almost lost every game, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I was consistent. People never really understood 10 points. Yeah, That's five baskets. Right. Five layups. Even if it's garbage points, who cares? Mm-hmm. I sneak and get 15 mm-hmm. almost every game mm-hmm. because I'm doing the little things. Mm-hmm. I'm not the flashiest. I'm not the cool. Like, I'm telling you right now, I ain't all and one. I ain't AP. Like, <laughs> I'll tell you, AP had me on skates one year, too. Yeah. But I made sure that I never got outworked. Yeah. We came to CC and played. Yeah. Back in my hometown. No, and mind you, this is, nobody knew where I was. Mm-hmm. I was a ghost. Like, people are like, man, where did EJ go? Like, where did he go play basketball at? Mm-hmm. Unless you knew and you contacted me and we were in contact consistently, yeah, yeah, 
then you knew. Mm-hmm. But my hooper, my hoop friends, they didn't know. They just mm-hmm. knew I came back every once in a while. Right. They didn't know I played at Kellogg. Mm-hmm. I didn't post about it. I didn't do none of that, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did, but most of the time they didn't really realize. Right. So when I came back, everybody was like, damn, this is about to be a matchup. Yeah. EJ, he's back. <laughs> yeah. Like, I didn't score but only three points. Yeah. And I think it was, I don't know if it was nerves for people to really see how good I was mm-hmm. or if it was, I don't want to be here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It right. was, it was crazy. Like you think when you go back to your hometown, it's about to be a riot. Yeah. Like you about to, you try to go for 40. Right. My coach knew how nervous I was cause he, he knew how much it meant to prove everybody wrong. Yeah. Every time we had our little meeting, he always asked me, Cause he knew I was a deeper kind of person. Like mm-hmm. I never really was a vague guy with him. Like I told him the truth. Like yeah. I'm afraid. Right. I'm afraid to fail. Mm-hmm. But with failing becomes success. Yeah. If you don't fail, you you're not successful. You're not learning at all. Mm-hmm. So he grilled that into me. Yeah. And I was able to understand and comprehend what it was like to be successful and to. He he always mentioned he was like I see you as an All American in this league mm-hmm. since the day first day I came mm-hmm. and I was like how do you how do people keep saying this but I don't <laughs> can somebody please tell me yeah so that year I busted my butt we almost lost every game but I made sure that I did what I need to do right and make the impact that I mean to make because I knew I was gonna be back down yeah at the end of the season yeah so after our last game I scored twenty against mm-hmm. Lansing. Mm-hmm. I was had surgery that mm-hmm. week later, Dang. and I was back to square one. So I came up from this big high of playing in a big season. I think even when I played at, when we played against Calvin, I hit this. I was in between half court and the three point college three point line, mm-hmm. and the ball was fumbling around, going back and forth. And I just tossed, like, caught the ball. We had five seconds left on the clock. I threw the ball up. Perfect form. Mm -hmm. All cash. Dang. Was it game winner? Game winner. Wow. And I was just like, dog, I felt good. (laughs) I was like, please. (laughs) So coming from that kind of stuff, I was just, like, so down again. Yeah. I was like, how did I get back to this point? And now I'm watching everybody in open gyms in the summer, right after the season was over, training with Coach Reed. Yeah, I'm only able to sit in a chair and do free throws mm-hmm. or shoot underneath the basket, dribbling on the side. But now I got to watch all y'all score, mm-hmm. get better. Yeah. So I had to talk to the recruits that Coach Reed wanted me to talk to on the side to get them to come to the school. I had to talk to them on the bench while I'm on crutches. And that hurt because I can't show them the, the ropes. I can't tell them what it's like because he, he saw me as a captain right as the season was over. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm back to square one. Man. And five months after that, four months after that, my second grandmother died. Oh, man. On the other side? Other side. Mm-hmm. We went to Mississippi for vacation, to be with her in a family reunion with my mom's side of the family. 
I remember they gathered around my grandmother's bed because she was in hospice at that point. And they were singing her old, it was an old Negro spiritual because down in, she was in Gulfport, Mississippi, and that mm-hmm. was the boonies. Mm-hmm. So church down there is like sanctuary. Like it's it's like every movie that you see where they yeah. clapping and they in a dirt church, like that's exactly what it's like. Yeah. And they sing her favorite old Negro spiritual. And she wasn't responsive before that. But in that moment, the doctor said she was basically just dead, like dead. She was she was she was aware of things, but she couldn't speak, she couldn't sing, she couldn't do none of that. Mm-hmm. In that moment, she started singing along with everyone. Wow. And when I tell you, like, I've never cried so much in my life. Mm-hmm. When you're hearing a spiritual, like, that deep of a spiritual, it hits you to a point where you're just, like... So you're talking about the the, the Negro spirituals, mm-hmm. worship songs, praise, worship, all that. And you're talking about you never cried so much in your life. Never. Did you did you need that? Was it like a long time coming for you? Like like what what made it all come that out? That was that was a long time coming. Yeah. And after everybody left, I sat down with her, and she spoke to me. She mm-hmm. said, "Don't give up." Mm-hmm. And it was like mummered. Obviously, it wasn't clear. Yeah. So I'm just like, oh my god, like. Okay, she's going to be fine. Like, she's mm-hmm. going to be better. She spoke. Because everybody thought she was going to be dying soon anyway. Mm-hmm. Little do I know. As I left, I was at my girlfriend's house at the time. Who I was with. Her family's house, hanging out. My sister drove all the way to, to, to DeWitt from Grand Rapids. Yeah. To deliver the news to me. They didn't want to tell me over the phone because I was confused with what was going on. Yeah. And then my dad and my sister was there. They didn't want me driving home. And they were like, because they knew that I was going through stuff, but I was never getting help because I didn't want it. Right. And they told me, and I broke down again. Man. Yeah. Then they had the funeral, and then fast forward to when we got back, and I'm back at school, because it was August at that point. Mm-hmm. I'm back at school in September. It was a a very sunny day, (laughs) and I wasn't feeling great at all. I was so torn down, worse than before. I was didn't take. I haven't taken any drugs in months Mm -hmm. because I told myself I got to get better. Right. In that moment, I got out of astronomy honors astronomy. And I went home tearing up, like trying to keep my composure, walking through the halls of, of, um, of the science building. And I drove over to our apartment and wrote a note to my mom and dad and basically saying that I was a failure. I didn't mean to let them down. I didn't mean to break their hearts or I tried yeah. I tried to, to stay afloat I tried to be here I tried to get better mm-hmm. 
I found every pill bottle that we had in the house that I had for just common pain, like ibuprofen, Aleve. We had more NyQuil. Mm. Um, and then I had the Oxy in there. Because I had it in there for safekeeping just in case. Like th- It was just a reminder, don't take this. Yep. But I took it anyway. Yeah. It was about ten, five to ten pills in there. I took half. Drank some NyQuil with it. While I'm writing a note, playing some music, trying to stay awake a little bit, mm-hmm. took two more, drank the rest of the bottle of NyQuil. And I think what was the savior of that moment, <laughs> which is crazy, a friend from, uh, from, from my school that was friends with me and MJ in our friend group, mm-hmm. she texted me on Snapchat saying what was I doing because they knew I wasn't doing too good after that yeah my grandmother dying and I was a little distraught and all that stuff so I told her I was fine I was happy to know them like I'm glad that they were my friends and yeah. I kept using these past tense words and she was like scared and she didn't say anything mm-hmm. in the messages she just told MJ and we lived about a mile and a half from our school mm-hmm. he sprinted from the cafeteria all the way to our house in probably like 10 to 15 minutes. Dang. Broke down our door. Well, he opened the door of the apartment, and then my door was locked. Mm-hmm. I, I closed my door and locked it. And then he broke our door. Mm-hmm. He was going eight nuts. <laughs> My eyes were half open, though, so I didn't really remember much of that the situation, but him throwing around the pills mm-hmm. and yanking the note out of my hand, mm-hmm. shaking, mm-hmm. nervous, trying to make sure I was still awake. He tried to give me CPR at one point, but I wasn't that go- far gone. But he, okay. when I closed my eyes, he pumped in my chest, yeah. making sure I was still there. Right. And called my mom. I remember crying over the phone and telling her that I was sorry. Mm-hmm. Just saying I was sorry over and over and over. Yeah. And she's just telling me that I'm okay and God's got me. And mm-hmm. I was like, God don't love me. God don't want to be here with me. Why if God loves me, why am I going through this? Why why would he why would he task me with this? Why would he make me feel this way? Yeah. Why would he let me feel this way? If he's truly the creator of all whatever. Yeah. So after that, he my sister got called by my sister, I mean by my um, by my mom, and said to go get me. They didn't want me to get um, admitted into the Battle Creek Hospital. They wanted me to come home because they were going to admit me into a psych hospital. Okay. Or let me go see someone in the next morning. So that night, I was so sick. Mm-hmm. I like at that point, I was I was kind of coming about around the way of being awake. Mm-hmm. MJ packed up my stuff and I left. It's midnight. Yeah, I'm, I I'm just gone. Nobody knew what happened to me. Right. Coach didn't know what happened to me. We texted. MJ texted my coach mm-hmm. for me. I went home, went straight to the hospital, got my stomach pumped, was put on antibiotics, and then that night I was admitted into Forest View Psych Hospital. Man, so how long were you there? Three weeks. Okay. 
They took my shoes, my shoestrings, my string to my sweatpants, the string to my hoodie, my phone, keys, any sharp objects. Yeah. I didn't have a life in there. It was the scariest thing. People were wearing straight jackets around there, man. So it was was tough. At at this point, what was your mindset like? Uh, Were you like, okay, I need to be here? Were you like, why am I here? Or like... What was it like? It was the why am I here? Okay. I wasn't this bad. I'm fine. Yeah. It was it was the second stage of grief and that was with what is it? Second stage of grief is when you're basically aware of what's going on, mm-hmm. but you're just shrugging it off. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't need this. Mm-hmm. I don't want this. Mm-hmm. Two weeks fast forward, I'm actually making progress in what the people are telling me because my mom's like you're not leaving until you do this program yeah this is not a celebration you Mm -hmm. don't need anybody to know about this this is you Mm -hmm. don't let anybody don't tell anybody about it Mm -hmm. didn't two weeks go past i get let out early and i just go right back to school Hmm. in that same year i got academic all-american i was in candidacy to have the votes to be an Mm all-american um i think sam ryan's won it that year third third team third team all-american he was that year okay and i had so much success but nobody knew about what was going on in the back end of it yeah but mind you i still wasn't better though Mm -hmm. i just had therapy multiple I had the out of therapist on call basically wow. my mom made sure that I was with him every day mm-hmm. and his name was Kurt Visker he's my therapist to this day okay and they tried to make me see a black therapist and I was like why yeah why do I need to see a black therapist mm-hmm. I saw one he's a doctor really high in records with my dad or whatever my dad really wanted this obviously and I sat down with him the first thing he asked me how does it feel to be a black man? What the, what is, I literally cussed at him. I was like, what does that got to do with anything? Yeah. I'm not here for that. Mm-hmm. I'm a boy. I'm a man. Mm-hmm. I, there's no color put on suicide. You're right about that. I almost became a statistic. Yeah. And you want to ask me what it's like to be a black man. Yeah. That's not the reason why I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of things going on in this at this, at this time, mm-hmm. but being black, I never had a problem with that. Mm-hmm. So I immediately told my father, don't ever send me to him again. Mm-hmm. And I saw somebody, Kurt, he was a preacher's kid. Mm-hmm. And he was an athlete in college and played at Calvin. Yeah. Those, that relationship and that understanding, he got to a fact. He was able to tell me everything about myself. Right. And what I was feeling in a matter of minutes. He put words to my feelings. He got you. And that was the road to being better. When I saw someone who was able to articulate what I was going through and put it into a detailed, like a detailed plan, Mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I will say there's always, you're always going to get better, Mm -hmm. no doubt. Mm -hmm. But it's not cancer. You can't cure it. Mm -hmm. And you know, just like cancer flares up. Yep. 
so does depression. Yeah. Depression never goes away. Mm -hmm. As much as you want to say that you're better, you're not. Mm -hmm. Don't lie to yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't let yourself feel like you understand what you're going through until you you really don't. Yeah. In that moment, unless you see someone. Right. Obviously. And some people have an articulation, but yeah. most people don't. That's so key, bro. Don't lie to yourself. Don't. It, it's the same thing. It's called imposter syndrome. Yeah. So when someone is so wound up and they see Kobe, Jordan, LeBron, mm -hmm. oh, I met him the other day. They tell themselves this mm -hmm. so many times that they believe it's true. Start to believe it, yeah. Same thing with suicide and depression. They mm -hmm. tell themselves they're okay so many times mm -hmm. until you really aren't. <laughs> and you feel it. And that's where suicide comes into play. Unless yeah. you're just so... like, And there's other levels, obviously. Right. People just don't want to be here. Right. You got people like Columbine. Mm -hmm. What do you think those kids went through? Yeah. It should never get to that point. And that's where a lot of kids go wrong. Yeah. And a lot of parents go wrong. Yeah. They let themselves believe that their kids are okay mm -hmm. because they seem like you. Right. So what if you're annoying to them? Yeah. Ask them anyway. Yeah. That's amazing, bro. Um, I wish we had the time to like continue to get in deeper in this, but what I really want to know and what I want you to tell the people, so EJ the dad, EJ the, the husband. So you you talked about, you know, depression doesn't really go away. Mm -hmm. and, you know, you know, this mental health journey is going to be there for the rest of your life. So EJ the dad, the husband, like what do you do? to keep yourself right. You mentioned you still have the same therapist. Is there anything else that you, you know, you try to do to, to help yourself, you know, stay on the right path? Find a passion. Mm. And yeah, basketball may be a passion for you. Yeah. But it's also an escape for you. So mm -hmm. find something that you can do outside of what you mainly do to keep you afloat. Yes. So yes. I'm a professional designer because I got my BFA in graphic design. Mm -hmm. I own my own business. Mm -hmm. I work at a, I'm full time at a print company as a creative director. Mm -hmm. Those kind of things are the things that will keep you afloat. Those yeah. having something to pour into whether it's coaching, mentoring, yeah. telling people, right. just expressing yourself in a way that it may not be normal yeah. to other people because it's not cool enough, but it really wouldn't be cool if you weren't here. Yeah. And that's what you, kids, adults, parents, sons, fathers, yeah. whatever, yeah. they have to understand that who cares about what cool looks like or what normal looks like. Wow. If you're going through something and you can't shake it, don't fight it. Yeah. Don't try to fight to be normal. Don't try to fight to sustain what you're doing just because you need to be normal or you need to be okay to, to be there for your family. But your family also needs you exactly. to be there. Yeah. And that's what being a father took on me. Yeah. And it really made me think about it. Once he was born, I almost wasn't here to see him be alive. Man, don't. So it's those things that you got to think about. Dang, bro. Yeah. And nobody really thinks about that. Like, yeah. 20, 2018 to now was, I don't even know, I can't do math right now, but. Going on six years. 
six years ago, I could have been dead. Yeah. Six years ago, somebody would have been at my funeral telling me how great of a person I was and the legacy that I left. Right. And that's what got me stuck on what legacy really meant. No doubt. So if you want to leave a legacy and leave something behind young athletes in general, if you're in college right now, you're a high school athlete, don't let your legacy define you. Mm -hmm. You define the legacy. Right. So if you want your legacy to be something that transcends what anyone has done before, mm -hmm. do it. Go yeah. after it. Yeah. But do not compromise your self-worth to do it. Absolutely. It takes hard work to, to sustain being a student athlete already. Yeah. But also it takes even more to be a better man mm -hmm. off the court or no off doubt. the field. No doubt. So if you do those things, take those steps to being right. Even if you're not going through something, still talk to someone. Yeah. Because this world, as messed up as it is, mm -hmm. especially after COVID, mm -hmm. there's so much crap going on mm -hmm. that it's it, it's okay to be depressed. Yeah, <laughs> you if you really want the honest truth, go watch The Weight of Gold. Mm -hmm. It's a movie about all the Olympic athletes. When I tell you, when I watch that movie, Michael Phelps even struggled with yeah. suicide. Yeah. I heard that. Sean White. Mm -hmm. There was people that were in the Olympic Games in Tokyo that were dead the next day. Yeah. That's crazy. And they were on the highest level. Yeah. They were higher than some NBA players. Yeah. They got to represent the country. Right. Top of the world. So if you want to leave that legacy, start with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that identity thing is so real. I experienced it. Um, obviously, I didn't, you know, get to the level as you did as far as, um, you know, wanting to take my life. Mm -hmm. But I felt that, bro. You know what I mean? I'm sure there's people out there that feel that too. Yeah, It's so important, man, to, to have that identity outside of your sport because you can't play it forever. And once you realize that, then the people, the stars that are doing it right now, mm -hmm. they know that this sport isn't forever. Yeah. Why do you think they're doing it? Bron has his own, you know, movie company, you know, investing. Draymond Green, all, all these athletes have their own podcasts now. You know, people are thinking about lives outside. Because they've been around, and it, the people might not know it, but there's so many NBA players that struggle with suicide as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Michael Jordan, for instance, mm -hmm. was not the, always in the best mindset headspace mm -hmm. always either because mm -hmm. he had to deal with being the best overall in his era. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in this era, in this year, 2023, I always challenge myself to be better than I was before. For sure. So now that it's 2024, I'm going to be better than 2023. No doubt. So every athlete, parent, student, doesn't matter what you're doing stop it mm -hmm. rethink sit down write down notes take a journal yeah i have a full journal full of from back from 2012 no not 2012 2015 all the way up to 2020 of notes that i read every once in a while and yeah. it's all the stuff that i went through wow in the moments where i felt pain 
and I couldn't, I didn't want to take the pill. Yeah. I wrote the pain down on paper and oh, burned okay. it. That's good. So I burned a copy and I kept a copy. Yeah. Wow. And I read it one time and I literally like, jeez, mm-hmm. that was dark. Yeah. I was like, the, like if, if Dark Vader had words to say, <laughs> <laughs> this would be all of them. Right, right. And, and when you have a demon that holds you closer than people mm-hmm. do, mm-hmm. It, it, it happens. Yeah. So don't let yourself get to that step to where you can't come back from because yeah. I was lucky. Yeah. Erd and most people, most people are gone because of yeah. what they were feeling. Yeah. And that's all suicide basically is, is a feeling. Yeah. A void. Mm-hmm. And if you make somebody feel void enough, you bullying somebody, yeah. stop it. If you're talking about somebody, stop it. Yeah. It's okay to joke. Yeah. But don't make them feel less than what they already yeah. are. Yeah. Absolutely. Talk to them. Yeah. Make sure they're okay. Right. Because you never know when you're not going to see that person next day or you're never going to know when that person brings a gun to school. That part, bro. So, if I haven't said anything else this whole time of rambling about this, nah. that's one thing. Everything you said, bro, in this last, I don't know, two hours, man, has been a blessing. And... um I believe you're still here because God's not done with you yet. And um, I believe that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he wasn't then, even though you felt like he was. Um, but praise God that you're you're here and that you uh, decided to get help and you continue to get help. Mm-hmm. So my encouragement to athletes, anybody out there that's, that's watching and listening, is to get the help that you need because – EJ is a, a testimony of what hope can do. And um appreciate you, man, for you know being vulnerable, opening up and uh sharing your story. And um man, I'm not sure I'll be able to sleep tonight. Not because I'm like spooked, but just like touched and moved. And you just gotta have me thinking all the time. So, um, or all night, um, about this conversation. So And it's crazy when people find out about the whole thing and they saw a lot of people that were at my old high school that saw the actual that were actually there live and people that actually saw the video on their youtube channel yeah they were just like not ej i was like why not me Mm -hmm. i'm not some superhuman right but they thought you were i guess so yeah i didn't feel it at all yeah like you said nobody um like suicidal thoughts and depression and anxiety doesn't care if you black, white, rich, poor. It, it waits for no man. A legend, at a all. nobody. At all. You know, so. It takes the best of the best. Yeah, yeah. And it's crazy yeah. because so does a bullet, so does a. It's just as lethal. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the, the top ten most reasons why people die in the United yeah. States. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy, man. But we got to wrap it up. Um, but I appreciate you stopping by, EJ. Powerful story, Always, bro. Man. This is like prototypical, the chosen podcast, what my vision has been over the last couple of months. It's for athletes, former athletes, to step up and share their real story and how they triumph through near death or the hardest times in their lives so they can 
bless others with the story. So you did just that, bro. I can't wait for this episode to drop. And um, if you're listening, subscribe to our channel, like the page, share this episode, make this go viral. This is my first time actually saying this for the show, like, because <laughs> this is how powerful it is, at least to me. So I appreciate you, bro. Always, man. Good to see you, man. It's Thanks been a long time. And uh, yeah, that's another episode of The Chosen Podcast. Till next time, deuces.